Good morning, church family. For it is wonderful to see so many of you back this morning, as today we will be finishing up chapter 5 in the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be doing so by looking specifically at verses 35 through 43, or where Jesus Christ heals Jairus' daughter, which also ends this section, church, in the Gospel of Mark, where John Mark has focused so intently on the sovereignty and on the authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's a section, church, that began really all the way back at the end of chapter 4, where Jesus Christ and his disciples left the shores of Capernaum and set sail across the Sea of Galilee, only to then have a massive windstorm fall upon them to the point that waves then were just breaking into their boat and were filling it up with water. Therefore, Jesus' disciples then, they wake Jesus up who was sleeping at this time, and they say to him in chapter 4, verse 38, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? To which Jesus Christ then rebukes the wind and says to the sea, Peace, be still. And like that, church, the wind ceased and there was great calm, displaying that Jesus Christ surely is completely sovereign over all the forces of nature. Nevertheless, when Jesus Christ then makes landfall following all of this, he is then greeted, if you will, in chapter 5, verse 2, by a man who was possessed, verse 9, by many unclean spirits. However, the unclean spirits here, they knew that they were no match for Jesus Christ. Therefore, they beg Jesus Christ here and ask him permission in verse 12 to let them go into some pigs that were located on a hillside, it's which Jesus Christ allows them to do. And they, the unclean spirits, they come out of the man, and the once demon-possessed man then, well, he then is made well, thus again clearly displaying the absolute authority of Jesus Christ, church, but this time over the demonic forces of evil. And then finally, as we saw last week, church, Jesus Christ, when he finally got back to the shores of Capernaum, he was again met by another man this time a man by the name of Jairus, who was one of the rulers of the synagogue at this time. And T. Jairus came to Jesus Christ here in absolute desperation, begging Jesus Christ to come with him and to heal his daughter, since she was at this time about to die, to which Jesus Christ compassionately agrees to do. However, on the way, Jesus' garment then, verse 25, is touched by a woman who had a discharge of blood coming from her for 12 years. But after merely touching Jesus' garment, this hemorrhaging woman was instantly then made well. To which Jesus Christ eventually points out to her that it wasn't any of her superstitions that made her well, nor was it any kind of magic that made her well, nor was it the mere touching of his clothing that made her well, but that instead it was ultimately her faith in Jesus Christ that made her well. Thus again clearly displaying here, church, the absolute sovereignty and authority of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this time over that of disease. However, the gospel writer here, John Mark, 
He does not stop there in showcasing to his readers the absolute authority and sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that because, as we see in our text today, John Mark, he also wants to showcase to his readers here that Jesus Christ is also sovereign and authoritative over even the great enemy of death. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, church, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. For Jesus Christ is not only sovereign over the forces of nature and over the demonic and over disease, but he is also completely sovereign over death itself. For Jesus Christ is not only sovereign over the forces of nature and over the demonic, and over disease, but he is also completely sovereign over death itself. Therefore, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 43. And if you are joining us today and do not own a Bible or do not have a Bible with you, fear not, because we've got you covered since there are church Bibles located literally in each and every chair in front of you this morning. Therefore, please feel free to grab one of those Bibles, to keep one of those Bibles, and to begin reading one of those Bibles, starting today by turning to page 840, and by joining us as we as a church body hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, our text this morning, church, is in Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 43, where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them, to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, open our eyes, our ears, and soften our hearts this morning to see you, Father, as you are, as the one who is ultimately sovereign over the forces of nature, over the demonic, over disease, and even over that of death. 
Father, let us be in all of you this morning. If we are putting any faith or confidence in ourselves, strip us of that confidence we have in ourselves this morning, and let us put that confidence in you and only you. Father, how quickly we fall into this trap of fearing the things that you are in control of, God, more than we fear you. And if that is any of us this morning, Lord, I pray that you convict us of this spirit and that we be led to repentance. Father, I pray that you send your spirit as well at this time to help my lisping and stammering tongue, Lord, to be able to communicate your word clearly to this dear congregation this morning. Father, I have no confidence in my own ability this morning. My confidence rests in your infallible and in your perfect word. Thus, I I pray that I communicate that clearly to each one of these dear ones today. Send your spirit, Father, to be in our midst, we pray, and that our worship service that the preaching of your word, that our offering, that our singing, that our prayers, that as we come to the Lord's table this morning, that all of it, Father, be a glorifying sacrifice to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Christian, persevere in the faith. For even when everything around you seems hopeless, Jesus Christ is sovereign and is still ultimately in control. Christian, persevere in the faith. For even when everything around you seems hopeless, Jesus Christ is sovereign and is still ultimately in control. Verses 35 through 40, which read, While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. So remember here, church, that before all this took place in verses 35 through 40, Jairus, one of the rulers of the synagogue, he came to Jesus Christ in the midst of a great crowd and begged Jesus Christ to come with him in order to make his dying daughter well, to which Jesus Christ compassionately agrees to do. Nevertheless, on their way to Jairus' home, Jesus' garment was then touched by a woman with a discharge of blood. And Jesus Christ stops and ultimately then gets her to come forward, listens to her story, and tells her in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. However, keep in mind here that during this interaction and healing and conversation that the clock is still ticking on Jairus' daughter as she is getting closer and closer to death. 
Therefore, although I am sure that Jairus here was happy for this woman who had been healed of this prolonged disease, it also seems reasonable to think that Jairus here also wanted Jesus Christ to wrap this conversation up, to make his point, and to get a move on so that they could make it back to his daughter in time before she ultimately passes away. Nevertheless, as we see in verse 35, There came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. And how painful, church, and heartbreaking and gut-wrenching must that news have been for poor Jairus to hear that his daughter is now dead. And thus because of that, all that is left to do now, church, for Jairus then is to return home to mourn the loss of his daughter and to certainly not, verse 35, bother the teacher, Jesus Christ, any longer. However, church, Jesus Christ, in overhearing all of this, that Jairus' daughter is now dead, he then says to Jairus in verse 36, do not fear, only believe. For do not fear, only believe. And this is such a critical point in the text, church, and such a critical point in the life of Jairus as well. And I say that because Jairus, if you can remember, all the way back to last week, he originally came to Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus Christ could indeed heal his daughter and make her well. Likely because, church, Jairus had heard the reports about Jesus Christ and maybe even saw with his own two eyes Jesus Christ heal the sick, cast out demons, cure the ill, and cleanse those with disease. Nevertheless, now... Jesus Christ seems to be challenging Jairus here to not let this gut-wrenching news impact his faith, but to instead continue to believe that Jesus Christ can still make her well despite the news, despite her death, and despite this seemingly hopeless situation. And thus for Jairus now, he's got a decision to make. Does he not, church? For does he now call this whole thing off? and give in to the seemingly hopeless situation and believe that the death of his daughter is now final and decide then to stop walking with Jesus Christ? Or does he instead continue to walk with Jesus Christ in faith here, no matter how hopeless or confusing or impossible or gut-wrenching the situation before him seems to be? To which Jairus here, he continues to walk by faith with Jesus Christ. And thus Jesus Christ then, as we see in verse 37, he allows no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. In essence, Jesus Christ here sends the large crowd away who was following him at this time and only allows three of his disciples, then Peter, James, and John, to accompany him back to the house with Jairus. And yet when they finally arrive... Back at the house of Jairus, as we see in verse 38, they were greeted, if you will, by a commotion as people were weeping and wailing loudly. And what is likely taking place here, church, is that likely we have a group of professional mourners who have already arrived on the scene, to which you might be sitting there thinking, for what on earth are professional mourners? And as was the custom of the day, church, 
Typically, when someone died, professional mourners then would be hired by the family, typically that of some flute players and some wailing women who would then make a commotion for all to hear from the home of the deceased in order to share with the community the overall grief of the family at that time. Nevertheless, it is in the midst of all this commotion, church, that Jesus Christ then says in verse 39, For why are you making a commotion and weeping? For the child is not dead, but sleeping. Now a point of clarity here. For Jesus Christ knows full well that Jairus' daughter here is actually dead and is not simply sleeping at this time. However, Jesus Christ seems to be using the word sleep here in verse 39, as Walter Russell puts it, as a way to indicate that he proposed to bring her back from the dead. And thus, since her death was not final, Jesus Christ then spoke of her death as if it were merely sleep, something that these professional mourners here most certainly did not understand. And thus, because of their lack of understanding about what Jesus Christ meant here when he said that she was merely sleeping, the professional mourners then, as we see in verse 40, they began laughing at Jesus Christ. And thus, you have a scene here, church, where rounds and rounds of laughter are all being directed at Jesus Christ, the guy, church, who Jairus brought into his home believing that he could make his daughter Well, and how often today, brother Christian, sister Christian, are we too forced to wrestle with a similar kind of dilemma, where we too are confronted by a seemingly hopeless situation or circumstance in life, and while trying our best, Christian, to maintain our faith and belief and trust in God in the midst of this seemingly hopeless situation, we are bombarded then with people on social media laughing at our God, and people on TV mocking the teachings of our God, and with people at work ridiculing the ways of our God, and thus in those moments, Christian, of hopelessness and pain and confusion and despair and when all you can hear and see and read is the laughing and the mocking and the ridicule toward the very object of your faith, that being your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, never, ever, ever allow yourself to forget that your God will always be faithful to care perfectly for you, Christian, even in the midst of your trials. For as D.L. Moody shared on this particular point, church, that a lady in England was once out for a walk when she saw a shepherd who had some dogs herding some sheep. However, if one of the sheep stopped, say, to get a drink of water out of the pools in the streets, the shepherd would instantly have the dogs get after them. And she kept thinking to herself, oh, you cruel, cruel shepherd. However, by and by, the shepherd actually led his sheep to a beautiful park where he let all the sheep go in and where there was sweet knee-high grass and a beautiful river running right through the middle of the park. And the lady said to herself, for he wasn't a cruel shepherd after all, but instead he simply didn't want his sheep to rest and to drink by the roadside where significant danger lurked for he was simply using the dogs to get his sheep to a far better place. 
Therefore, no matter how cruel you might be tempted to think that your God is treating you Christian for not allowing you to get what you want on your perfect timing or for allowing you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death or through the valley of humiliation, do not think for a second, Christian, that when you fall, you shall not rise or when you sit in darkness that the Lord won't be a light for you. And thus, because of that, Christian, you must, must, must be diligent then to hold fast to the faith, to stand firm in the faith and to relentlessly press on in the faith, knowing full well that the one who does not make a shipwreck of their faith, but who instead continues to persevere in the faith, no matter the circumstances, will ultimately overcome the world. And I say that because the only victory that has and can overcome the world, Christian, is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 John 5.4. Therefore, my charge to you this morning, Christian, is to keep persevering in the faith, no matter the trials, no matter the suffering, no matter the ridicule, and no matter how hopeless you think your situation might be, because the God of all grace, who has called you, Christian, to his eternal glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, has already promised you in his infallible word to restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and to establish you, and he will do that for you, Christian, since your God is faithful and cannot under any circumstance deny himself of that. For our second point this morning, church, is this. For Jesus Christ is authoritative over all Christian, even over the great enemy of death. For Jesus Christ is authoritative over all Christian, even over the great enemy of death. Verses 41 through 43, which reads, Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. So Jesus Christ, after being laughed at by these professional mourners, he then, as we see in verse 40, puts all of them outside. And he takes only the child's father and mother and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, into where the child was where he then, church, verse 41, takes this dead child by the hand, and he says to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise in Aramaic. And immediately then, church, as we see in verse 42, the little girl, she gets up and begins walking. That Jesus Christ, simply by taking her by the hand and saying to her, little girl, I say to you, arise, that at once then, church, this once dead girl, instantly then, completely then, and fully and truly and totally then, church, comes back to life and is absolutely then made well, to the point that she immediately then just gets up and begins walking around the house, and not with a limp church, nor with a 
hobble, church, nor with a shuffle or stumble or wobble, church, but instead she just naturally then begins walking around the house just like any other 12-year-old girl would do. Thus clearly displaying here, church, that Jesus Christ, make no mistake about it, is sovereign and supreme and authoritative, church, even over that of death itself. And thus following this incredible and astonishing and extraordinary miracle, Jairus and his wife and the disciples were immediately then, verse 42, overcome with amazement. And who can blame them, church, because just mere seconds earlier, they were all caught in the midst of a situation that seemed hopeless and impossible and insurmountable and inconceivable to overcome. And then, like that church, after once encounter with a God-man, Jesus Christ, this once dead girl, is now up and living and breathing and walking and has been brought back to life and is now completely Well, nevertheless, Jesus Christ still tells them in verse 43 to give this girl something to eat because even though she is now alive and walking and breathing and moving about, she is now also going to need some food to eat in order to begin to get some nutrients back into her body, which is just a wonderful picture here, church, of Jesus Christ desiring to meet and to care for the physical needs of others. However, as we also see here, church, in verse 43, Jesus Christ also strictly charges them or says to them that no one should know about this, or in essence, that no one should go around telling the world about this, which leads to the question, then why? For why does Jesus Christ here not want this amazing and miraculous and stunning miracle whereby he literally just brought someone back from the dead to be shared candidly and openly and freely with others? The answer to that question, as numerous commentators have pointed out, seems to be that Jesus Christ here simply does not want to be known only as the miracle man who can calm the storms, cast out demons, heal the sick, and even bring people back from the dead. But instead, Jesus Christ wants his life, his ministry, and his message, church, to be known and to be understood ultimately in light of his own resurrection from the dead. For to summarize David Garland here, for Jesus Christ desires for the world to see the whole picture of his ministry and his death. Therefore, although the little girl and her parents here did indeed receive a temporal reprieve from death, Jesus Christ ultimately wants to be known as the one who brings complete release from the jaws of death, which he will eventually bring to the world through his own death and resurrection. In essence, Jesus Christ ultimately wants to be understood, church, as the one who laid down his life for us, who died as a propitiation for us, who satisfied the wrath of God for us, and who had the authority to take his life right back up again and thus offer eternal life to us. In short, Jesus Christ doesn't simply want to be known as the guy who raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, but instead he wants to be known and grasped and fully understood, church, in light of his own glorious resurrection 
resurrection from the dead. Therefore, brother Christian, sister Christian, let us be sure then, now and forevermore, to know and to grasp and to understand Jesus Christ in light of who he truly is. That be not just some miracle man or some miracle worker, but instead as the resurrection and the life, as the one who bore the sins of many and who now offers the gift of eternal life. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, I'd like to do so beginning with the non-Christian who was here first. And non-Christian, the question that I have for you this morning quite simply is this. Do you currently know and view and understand Jesus Christ in light of his perfect life, death, and resurrection? Or do you instead know and view and understand Jesus Christ this morning in light of what the media says about him? or in light of what hard-hearted fools clamor about him, or in light of what those who are still dead in their sins assert about him. Because the truth is, non-Christian, Jesus Christ can only be known and grasped and fully understood in light of his perfect life, death, and resurrection, whereby he came into this world, non-Christian, as truly God and as truly man in order to save sinners from their sins. And he did that for us, non-Christian, by initially being born under the law of God, just like you and I. However, unlike you and I, non-Christian, Jesus Christ, he never broke that law once, but instead lived a perfect and righteous and holy life and thus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law for the children of the law by quite literally living for them the life that they could never live. However, that was not all, non-Christian, that Jesus Christ accomplished for the children of God. Because not only did he live the life that they could never live, he also then paid the price for their redemption that they could never pay. And he did that, non-Christian, by willingly taking our sins upon himself and bearing the full wrath of a holy God that we deserve for our sins by being crucified on a cross at Calvary and by dying a sinner's death in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned. And it was through these wounds then, non-Christian, that we then can eternally be healed And I say that because Jesus Christ is a perfect and sinless and spotless sacrifice. He appeased then the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. And thus, as the proof of that then, non-Christian, three days later, Jesus Christ, he did not stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead he rose from the grave, displaying to the world that he had defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and that he now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God 
forever. For Jesus Christ and Christ alone, non-Christian, is the only way you can be forgiven of your sins and given the gift of eternal life. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to the Christian who was here this morning. Brother Christian, Sister Christian, as we close this morning, I'd like to do so not only in light of our text from today, but also in light of this entire section from the Gospel of Mark as a whole, where again, John Mark focused intently on displaying to his readers the sovereignty and the authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to close with that in mind this morning, church, because as I found myself reading these historical narratives over and over and over again over the past four weeks, I kept finding myself quite honestly, church, needing to repent And I say that because I realize that far too often that when the storms of life hit, when the forces of evil tempt, or when sickness and illness strike, or when even death itself comes near, that far too often I find myself having far too low of a view of God and of his power, and of his authority, and of his sovereignty, and of his ultimate control over all, which causes me then to begin to fear the storms of life, and the attacks of the evil one, and the sickness all around me, and even that of death itself more than I fear God, which is such a foolish an idiotic and nonsensical trap for me to fall into, church, since as we have seen over the past four weeks, our God is ultimately sovereign and ultimately in perfect control over each and every one of these things that I may fear. For Benjamin Brook in his book, The Lives of the Puritans, he wrote that when Bonner, the Bishop of London, had secured a royal warrant for the arrest of theologian and clergyman Bernard Gilpin in 1558, he promised that within a fortnight, two weeks, that he would be dead at the stake. Therefore Gilpin laid his hand on his house steward and said to her, they have prevailed against me, for I have been accused by the Bishop of London from which there will be no escaping. Therefore God forgive them of their malice. And give me the strength needed to undergo this trial. And soon Gilpin was apprehended, and he set out from London in complete expectation of death by fire. However, on his journey, he broke his leg, which naturally delayed him for some time. And thus those who were bringing him to London maliciously began to throw at Gilpin one of his frequent sayings, that being that, Nothing happens to us but that which is intended for our good. Therefore, when they asked him whether he thought his broken leg was intended for his good, he replied that he had no doubt about it. And he was eventually proven right, because before he was ever able to travel again, Queen Mary died, and he was eventually set free. And thus, if you are sitting there this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, 
and you are at this time fearing the storms of the world more than you fear God, or fearing the forces of evil more than you fear God, or fearing sickness or illness or disease more than you fear God, or fearing even that of death more than you fear God, then lovingly, brother Christian, sister Christian, you need to repent and ask your sovereign and omnipotent and authoritative God to forgive you for fearing the things that are completely under his control more than you fear him. Because the reality is, Christian, your God, he does whatever he pleases, and his counsel will stand forever, his plans will always take place, his purposes will always come about, and absolutely nothing Christian will ever be able to stop him or to turn his hand back. Therefore, because of that, even when the storms of life beat on you, Christian, and the forces of evil tempt you, Christian, and the diseases of this world strike you, Christian, and even when death itself decides to come for you, Christian, do not fear then, Christian, but only believe. Since as the Puritan Richard Baxter put it, this life was not intended to be a place of perfection, but instead the preparation for it. However, that future perfection, Christian, will only become your future reality if you do not let fear get the best of you and cause you to turn from the faith. Therefore, continue to believe in the one Christian who defeated sin, who conquered death, and who can offer you a resurrection from the dead as well, knowing full well that even during the most hopeless situations of life that your God is and forevermore will be Christian, sovereign over all. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body do not fear the forces of nature or the forces of evil or sickness or even that of death more than we fear you, God. And if any of us do this morning, Father, then Lord, please forgive us of our sins and take away this spirit of fear that we know is not from you, but instead make us aware that we have been given the spirit of adoption as those who can now cry out to you, God, as Abba, Father, and let this truth sink deep into the fabric of our being, Lord, so that we can know that we have no reason to fear anything that this world has to throw our way if the object of our faith is your Son, Jesus Christ, since your Son, Jesus Christ, has already overcome the world. Therefore, do not let our fears or trials or the seemingly hopeless situations that we may run into cause us to stop believing in you, Lord, but instead as your children, strengthen us, Father, to continue to hold fast to your Son, to his message, and to his glorious resurrection from the grave, knowing that if we continue to press on in the faith, that we too will be resurrected from the dead and have eternal victory over the grave as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, strengthen our trust in you this morning. Strengthen our confidence in you, our assurance in you. Strengthen our love for you and our faith in you. Father, there are so many situations members of this dear flock are going through right now, situations in their mind that may seem hopeless. Father, let them not turn from the faith in those moments. 
but encourage them, Father, to continue to walk in faith and not by sight, knowing that you are sovereign over each and every aspect of our life. The forces of nature over the demonic. Father, you are even sovereign over death itself. Thus, if sickness or death or pestilence or anything else hits this dear congregation, Father, let them not leave the faith because of the circumstances, but let them run to the one who is completely sovereign over all of those circumstances. Strengthen them in the faith, we pray, so that you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.